Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th. Hosted by Kevin Hart, the seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with The Fall Guy. What are you doing later? Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes! Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall Guy. Fall Guy. Fall Guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Nope. Because I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. Celtics Stuff Live with your hosts, Justin Poulin and John Duke. Welcome to Celtics Stuff Live on the CLNS Media Network, the leading online provider of Boston Celtics coverage. That's right, me and John, one more game to go, and then it's the postseason, everybody, and I'm ready. I'm ready, and you know who else is ready? Rob Williams is ready. He's going to get some minutes, dude. And, you know, I, I you listen to Scal and, and Mike talk quite a bit about it, deservingly so, because the last couple of games has been good. But in this Memphis matchup that you and I just finished watching, you look at, at Rob and, and Scal and Mike are talking about it. And, boy, what happened from the point of that injury until now? And I've been thinking about this, and I'm sure I'm not the first person to say it. But that whole second year uh, phenomenon where the players get the offseason and they come back and a lot of them just feel a lot more comfortable in that second season. I feel like the pandemic created a second season effect and especially for Rob Williams because he's starting to realize that athletically he is way ahead a lot of the other players in the league. He really is. And the level of patience he now has, he was always a good passer, though. Even before the injury, the, like, the passing, his ability to kick it out quick and make that decision mentally, very heads-up player, uh, had the athleticism to do the blocks. But position-wise on defense and offensively the patience, those are the two things that usually happen from year one to year two. And in, I think this could wind up playing out uh, pretty substantially for the Celtics in the postseason because they needed a guy who could alter a game like that coming in two minutes. And with the war on Tice, Lord knows they're going to get thin, man. <laughs> World War Tice is what it is. Yeah, yeah. I, it's yeah. He, he's he's looked really stupendous. I mean, really going back to the Nets game. Um, obviously, you know, great in the uh, in the in the Toronto game. Showed up again in the Magic game. I mean, he really he has he has showed out, and he has, like you said, taken that opportunity away from the game, healthy for the first time in an off season or last year's off season between his his rookie year and his, his sophomore year. Again, had more injury issues, and so it's been a constant battle for him. 
this year, uh, you know, he's got a little bit of good stuff going, then gets hurt again. And, and I think this is when things are hopefully coming together for him. And I totally agree with you. I mean, the difference that he, the difference between how he looked um, in that game, especially the Toronto game, where he had a couple bad, uh, you know, bad position. He was kind of too aggressive. And then he adjusted and then he made that correction. And that's a team of smart guys with a lot of guards who can get downhill and make you look stupid. And it didn't matter. It didn't matter with Rob Williams. Rob Williams was there. He was, I mean, he was, he was the best center on the court that night. Uh, when you had Marcus Gasol and you had Serge Ibaka and the best guy on the court in the center position for the Celtics and the Raptors was Robert Williams. Go figure. Yeah, pretty wild. And another phenomenon or emerging trend that I hope continues, uh, and in the Memphis game, especially at the start, and then also at the beginning of the third quarter, it was frustrating me the way that they were settling for outside shots. But the team's willingness to pass and create lanes and attack the basket has been really strong. But it was Gordon Hayward over several games increasing. And I remember thinking... Boy, he's starting to attack the basket. I love it. And I remember on the last show that we recorded, we talked about him having his bounce back. But, geez, uh, who was the game before Memphis? Was that Portland? Uh, no, no, it was the Magic. No, no magic. the Magic. Yeah. Man, the way that he has just built up towards that Magic game where he was all of a sudden leaping, dunking. And if you remember when he was first coming back at the beginning of last year with that ankle injury – his ability to get up, he was getting met by the rim and rejected. He just didn't have that that little pop. And all of a sudden, he's elevating, I would say seriously, an inch and a half to two inches more easily than he has since he got injured. He's starting to look athletically like the old Gordon Hayward, and it's showing in his aggressiveness to the basket. Having that with Tatum, with Brown, with Brown hitting those outside three-pointers the way that he is, man, that is what is creating uh, so much of a mm-hmm. tough matchup. The one we've been salivating for, the, the what we had hoped we would see all this time. And then you have uh, Walker, who, especially in that Memphis game, just looking very smooth, very comfortable creating action, um, you know, off of off high pecs that aren't even sometimes executing quite right. And he's still getting some of that that free space to be able to get off a three pointer. So uh, the spacing is phenomenal. The chemistry with the team is great. They're getting better every single game and off and, and dynamically offense. But the efforts there on defense, too. We're not seeing that commitment to only one end you know, each game and then the other, the other game. Yeah. You know, and, and when we, we last recorded, I think that was, um, after the Miami game and maybe before the Toronto game or. No, it was before the Miami game. Okay. We went an extra game. game. We were, we were supposed to talk before Memphis and we didn't, you both, we both went three and one. Yes. But we, we thought right. we would. We both thought we we were both correct, but <laughs> we were it. both wrong on what the loss was going to be. Yeah. You were going for the second game on a back to back, I believe, and uh, I think I said the Toronto game, and it turns out it was the Miami game. So who knows? Yeah, I you know, and I think since that Miami game, just using that as as kind of a jumping off point, you know, I think that was a situation where the Miami Heat 
were a team that was the more motivated team. They had they hadn't done well against the Celtics all season. Uh, they had a little extra motivation without Jimmy Butler on the floor, and the Celtics played like garbage for 48 minutes. And so you put those two things together, and you're going to get a loss against a, a playoff team, a team that can has that has so many weapons on the floor, and with Bam out of bio, you really it's you, <laughs> you really struggle to contend with that. And, and like you said, more that. to play for in that game. I mean, Absolutely. the Celtics need to play for chemistry, for playoff rotation and all that. Right. But pretty much their seed has been locked up since they came in. Yeah. Uh, yeah, with yeah. a really big, with a great streak for them and a bad streak for Toronto. There was an outside shot. And, uh, you know, they might have slipped a little bit if they lost every single game. But for the most part, and we said this on the very first show, they were pretty much locked up into the third seed. Absolutely. But but with the difference in that game, I, I guess what I after that after that game and, and first of all, let's remember the, the Brooklyn Nets have really been they've really overachieved given the roster and the teams that they've been going against. They have really overperformed what we would expect of them. And Just so wait till Kyrie comes in and makes them worse. <laughs> exactly. Oh totally, totally. But you know, the Celtics took that loss to Miami and they just they kicked, you know, gotten their, they got themselves right, I guess. And then they played free, they played loose, and they kind of rediscovered the things defensively, offensively that they needed. And and the other part is also, I think Kemba's minutes helped to balance out some of the roster stuff, where I think they were really searching for for chemistry. Now that Kemba is much closer to the the type of minutes that he would be playing in the playoffs, I think it really all came together in those last few games. And now the Celtics are in a spot where, you know, they had a couple blowouts, uh, a tight, tight-ish game, but really also important to be able to do that against uh, the Magic and pull that out and, and, and have some clutch plays down the stretch. Uh, Jason Tatum taking over. You really couldn't, I mean, other than going undefeated and, and just blowing everybody out, for any, any, anything other than that, this has been the best possible situation throughout this bubble probably for the Celtics. Every player has had a significantly shining moment. Every single one. Mm-hmm. Tice hitting shots from the corner, playing great defense, getting up in the lane and dunking. Rob Williams, what he's been doing. Even Romeo Langford has had some really impressive spot minutes. You have Brown, who took over a couple of games, shooting really well from outside. Tatum struggling at the start. And then, he, you know, the most recent game that we have, what did he go, like 9 for 11? He missed, what, two shots against Memphis? Totally lit it up. Um, Walker's had, you know, some really steady games, but a couple of couple of really good. I mean, he's had his minutes restricted, but he's looked nice. Um, Gordon Hayward's had big games. Cantor's had you know, really good rebounding. You just go, I'm sure I'm forgetting somebody, but everybody has had a really, really strong game here or there. So very good to see. And, you know, Marcus Smart, he had a really good game. But the thing about Marcus, and you just mentioned it with Kemba Walker, you know, Marcus is, in my opinion, at this point, there's no question he's a starting caliber point guard. He's not necessarily the first option, but any team in the league that does not have a Chris Paul or an already established superstar point guard would absolutely love to have Marcus Smart at the helm, leading that and directing that offense and making all those plays. How 
awesome is it, though, for the Celtics to finally have him coming back off the bench, like you said, with consistent minutes from Walker? Because even when Walker was starting in those restricted minutes, Marcus winds up playing like awkward rotations, right? He's got to do a little bit extra, but he's not really in with the starters. He's steadying the second unit. It just doesn't work quite the way you would want it to for the unit. He looks great for the unit and the rotations. It's not always the way you would want it. Having him come off the bench the way that they have is just a whole different look for this team and their ability. They really don't have anybody else to come off the bench and steady the offense. And someday they're going to have to have that address because Marcus Smart will absolutely be leading this team at the point guard position. I think, yeah, I think Marcus Smart has been, I mean, we've always seen it. We, You and I have talked about it. Uh, you know, he's had this playmaking gene in him from the beginning. And, you know, I contend that really the, the best position for him to be playing is the point guard position because he's the one that got Rob Williams going the lobs early on built his confidence. And that's what set it off. Absolutely. And on a team like this with so many people who can score the ball, so many people who can attack and, and stretch the floor, it creates a situation where Marcus can is free to do those things and has the room to work. And I think that, uh, you know, I'd love to see his, his spot up, you know, shooting game, maybe pick up a little bit more, Seeing that he's uh, a, a top uh, three-point pull-up shooter, that one kind of caught me off guard here during the broadcast a few games ago. I, I just, you know, it's so impressive what he's done on the offensive end. We know how good he is defensively. Like, of course, the biggest thing now is going to keep him healthy. You know, if you can keep him healthy and you can keep that bench kind of where it is right now, I think, I think you got you, you clearly have finals uh you know on your mind uh not to say you're gonna get there but to say that you have a legitimate chance to get through the east with that the type of bench that the Celtics have shown over the last three four games yeah they they need him to solidify the depth because of what we just said how he got rob going there are other players on that bench rotation that need him to make that unit function properly. So they have depth, but without him and Walker, that depth doesn't necessarily achieve to the level that they're capable. And so it is critical. Um, They've got eight or nine, possibly 10 deep that we might see uh, in the postseason, depending on matchups and largely because of that front court rotation, right? It's you, you've got, you know, it could be Tice. It could be Williams, uh, it could be the other Williams in a couple of spot minutes. Cantor's going to get time, though. He's not – obviously, Tice is going to stay the starter. He's doing all the right things, and he's keeping – you know, there was a time for Tice, and I think they subtly mentioned this, but not as clearly as we're about to, but on the broadcast. There was a time when Tice had the hands up. What's going on, guys? Why aren't you giving me any live love? Why do you keep doing this? And he's really toned that down. The thing he does now is he takes his jersey and he pulls it up over his face and he acts like he's wiping sweat from his face. And then when when he reemerges from the tee, you know, it's zen again. He doesn't let it get in his head and he doesn't let the refs see that it's bothering him. (laughs) That's so true. There is is going to be a moment in this postseason where Brad gets a tee for coming to Tice's aid, because that's one thing Brad's really good at. If the player doesn't throw their arms up and try to petition the refs, 
then Brad is eventually going to go to war with the refs for that player. He's known to do it in the past. It's going to happen in the postseason. Are we ready to talk about seeding? And think, you know, yeah, yeah. I mean, Let's it's go, Philly baby. pretty much, right? That's I mean, isn't it pretty much locked up? <sighs> it seems like it. I mean, I I don't see. I mean, right now you've got it's close, but you know you've got basically a, a game that separates Indiana and Philly. They both have uh, two games left, but you know, it, it, to me, it seems like Miami's in the four slot. I don't see though they play the Indiana and Miami play again. I don't see a way that that it seems unlikely that it's gonna be anything other than Miami four, Indiana five, and Philly six, which I think is to to, to give up the ghost on what I think here. I think that's the best possible situation for the Celtics. Well, Simmons is guaranteed out. He's or- out. Bye-bye. He's out for the whole thing. It's yep. just done. Okay. Yep. And then Embiid is out for a time, but may reemerge. A little gimpy, but I, 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 yeah, I think some of the reports today were that he doesn't look that serious. I don't know. Okay. I don't know if that's so true or not, play. but we'll see. Yeah. So is there a world where Simmons being out actually makes this Philly team stronger? Absolutely. That's Absolutely. that's the one scary thing, and and it's not because Simmons isn't a talent. Believe me, I don't want to denigrate the player, but we've talked about this. They don't have outside shooting. They clog the middle. You know, Embiid can shoot from outside, but you know it's disjointed. It's the reason Al Horford's not meshing. There's a world where Ben Simmons not playing just gives them another Covington-style upstart guard to come in get some minutes, nobody's paying attention to him, and and Horford to get back into that starting rotation, or at least, you know, pretty well established and actually have enough room to play and play well. Because I think one of the biggest issues with Horford is having Simmons as that point forward, not being able to shoot outside, and then Embiid as well. The three of them just don't fit plus the rest of the, the lineup. So with Simmons being out, maybe they maximize a little bit of this Al Horford presence I want to ask you, is Horford washed up or just a bad fit? Uh, I think it's probably more a bad fit than, than than washed up. I mean, we saw last year what Al Horford was capable of, and uh, I, I wouldn't want to pour dirt on the guy's grave. I think he's I think he's much more capable what Philly, than what Philly has shown. But it takes uh, smart players and it takes smart coaching to pull that out. And right now. You know, he's not in that spot. I mean, look, this is uh, to talk about what Philly's done. The last four games, they're three and one. But in that time, they played the Spurs, the uh, Wizards, the Magic, and then they lost to Portland. So they're three and one. But three of those three of those games were against teams that aren't even going to make the playoffs. So in those games. Hey, you know, Al's looked better. He went eight for 14 against Orlando, six for nine against Portland. I mean, he's getting more opportunities. He's touching the ball a lot. Great for him. What about minutes? Do you have minutes right there? Uh, Yeah, I do. 30, Playing right 30s? 30, 31, yeah. 30, 29, you know, basically 30, 30, and then 22 against Portland. But so he's, he's not starting, right? They have Josh starting. That's right. Yeah, yeah, that's right. But that but makes look, sense for him to come in in that role and get those extended minutes. Yep. But for this, I mean, okay, so if you're the Celtics, right, if you're not playing Embiid, all right, if Embiid's out of the game and it's Horford, right, do you worry about having Rob Williams out there on him? Do you worry no, about – No, you attack. 
You've got to attack. Exactly. You've got to attack. You've got to tire him out. And and he's not the longest. He's a position defender. Yeah. And so the, the whole thing, and it's what we started this whole discussion on for this podcast, but having Hayward with ups and being right and then having Brown and having Tatum, they have to just keep attacking, attack, dish, drive, dish, drive, dish. And then if you do have a, a Rob Williams in there, and even a Canner in certain circumstances, although, you know, different, I think you attack and finish with Canner because you're, you're hoping for the offensive rebound. I think you're driving and dishing with Williams and looking for an opportunity for him to set that screen. You begin to attack because he's doing a great job of timing the roll. And if it's Hayward and he's proven that he's got some ups and he's finishing, and definitely if it's Brown attacking the basket, they always are going to shy away from Williams. And you give him an inch where he can get up enough, he's going to finish those lobs no problem. It's not even a back-to-the-basket thing. It's just up and down with the ball. And so I think I think that's where Horford gets in trouble with the Celtics. Too many options for him to pick up on the defensive end with that. If they're quick, they move the ball and they get three different, you know, drives and looks at finishing at the rim. They can cause a lot of problems for Al Horford's normally stalwart defense. I, I you know, and I think for Philly, looking if they play Horford with, uh, you know, Embiid, I think that's a, a net loss for Philly because I think. The Celtics' quickness on the perimeter is such that there's no way Embiid's going to be able to stay with anybody out there. I mean, he's not going to stay with Tatum. He's not going to be able to stay with, with Jalen Brown. Um, that's that's the problem for Philly, I think, is the th- Simmons was so perfect for them in that he had that length to protect the rim if you could pull Embiid out, but he also had the athleticism to stay with those guys and, and really still bother them. If if you're just plugging and playing Horford in for Simmons, I think that's that's a big loss for Philly, and I don't think that's a that's an overstatement in any way. I think the question is, is Embiid finally going to be the Embiid who he could be? If Embiid becomes Shaq 2001, which he kind of has the ability to do in this league, uh, it's going to be a problem. But there's nothing I've seen that shows me he's capable of that mentally. You know, I, well, it, and the focus issue for him. Yeah. It, it, the the other issue for the Celtics, too, is if when Philly has defeated the Celtics, it's because they have them camping out at the perimeter so predictably that Jason Tatum can't create the space to blow them up. And when they beat Philly, it's almost always because Tatum is lighting it up from the outside, to your point. And so you take Simmons away. If they continue to attack, even if they don't even intend on finishing the play, they've just got to keep sinking a team that already tends to sink to the hoop and to keep that defense sinking and collapsing towards the hoop so that they can create that space on the perimeter because they do have to shoot well from outside to beat Philly, always have, but they've got the shooters to do it. And and what's, what could happen in a Philly matchup, and I can see this in the entire media, everybody like freaking out, I can see game one against Philly 
where the Celtics all of a sudden do that thing where they put that pressure on themselves. They're all cold from the perimeter. They drop game one, and the next thing you know, you know, Embiid has a great game. A couple of players play up, and everybody's like, oh, man, everybody counted Philly out because they don't have Simmons. And, uh, and the next thing you know, you know, a team that is very motivated to beat Philly and has always seen that, you know, Everybody said Philly did it better. They got the better players. Da, da, da. Like, don't think Jalen Brown and Jason Tatum are not always having that in their head. It's always going to be a measuring stick of success for them. And uh, I, I really believe that once we come out of that first game and everybody's saying that, that they will wind up lighting it up and uh, the narrative will change very quickly. And, 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 you know, they're starting so quickly in between. So it's not as like, I, you know, I, you couldn't see what Embiid had done to his ankle. It, it wasn't really clear what happened. But, you know, a week, you know, they're going to play, you know, roughly a week from from now, as we're recording this Tuesday. Uh, the playoffs are supposed to start the 17th. Of course, we don't have what the schedule is yet. But, you know, they're going to play probably every other day being a week from now. So, if there is anything in the least bit serious about that ankle injury, a week isn't a whole lot of time for that to rest. So there's that. And then there's the other piece of this, which is, uh, you know, if they get in a hole, <laughs> uh, is is Philly really going to want to put their, their you know, injury-plagued center uh, out there when they don't have Ben Simmons and they don't have their best foot forward? Um, will they punt on, on the season at some point? I mean, look, he's still got Embiid. But you go down 0-2, you go down 0-3, it, it's a wrap, man. I mean, you know, three, you go down 3-1, like, you know they're not going to – I don't think this is one of those, like, all right, let's 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 dig this out. We want to stay in the bubble longer. It's going to be, no, let's get home to our family and friends and, you know, hit the road. So that's kind of interesting, and especially when you're looking at what's that's happening. That's a concept the- I hadn't even really thought of. Yeah. But, you know, the – the fight in the dog, <laughs> right. you know, is going to have a big, a, a big impact on that. If they don't really feel like they have a shot and it might be easier to put some teams away, you know, depending on their chemistry. And that's, that is something that has always kind of felt like a little bit of an issue in Philly. Not that they don't like each other, but the chemistry in general, like this Celtics team, ever since they got rid of cancer boy, has been all about the good vibes. You know what I mean? Jalen Brown's a problem. He's got a bad attitude. Da, 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 da. Now he's like yeah. the voice of the Players Association and the Black Lives Matter movement, right? Like now he's the golden child. Look at Jalen Brown. He's so great, you know? Um, and it all and and there was a time when he was coming off the bench and you know everybody's like trade him, trade him, trade him. You know, and and a lot of people, a lot of fans were behind Kyrie and thinking that the young players remember the narrative and and Kyrie created this. The younger players don't want to do what it takes and they're not blah, blah, blah. And look at where we're at right now. It's awesome. The it's younger, awesome. The, the young guys on the Celtics made the young guys on the Nets look absolutely stupid. Uh, last week, so think about yeah. that one. But you know that's true too. You're bringing up a good point. Kyrie used that line once again in a new yeah. city. Didn't right. even take him 12 months. That's a great point. Whoops. 
you know, but, you know, all the more reason the Celtics need to get through that, not to look too far ahead here, but I'm already in a round two and I'm saying Celtics need to get through that series with Philly as quickly as they can, because they don't want to be in a battered bruise situation going up against the Toronto Raptors. You know, that's a That's a You know, they made them look bad last week, but I, I truly believe Philly, you know, Toronto is is oh, as they're strong team as there is, you know, and fast. Week. And yep. fast, you know, that's that's going to be a really fun series. And and you're right. The other thing that's going to happen for the Celtics is if they don't play that real fast attack, drive and dish uh, style against Philly and they get lulled into it, they may not be as ready for that fast paced attack that they're going to, you know, when they match up against Toronto. So great point. They want to. Get that done. Put some distance between a different style of play and and the Raptors and the the way to beat the Raptors. I mean, the way to beat the 76ers will translate well to the Raptors if they commit to it. So we just need to keep seeing this level of energy from this team. Totally. The, you look at the Miami game and you're like, I want this team to be done with the bubble and go home. You know, and you watch every game since that point and and they. You know, they flipped a switch like the old 2010 Celtics. Uh, but there's confidence in there. Oh, totally. Uh, you know, there's, totally confident. There's yeah. a high level of even when you see like Gordon Hayward miss two three pointers in a row off the back rim, and you're wondering if he's even going to bother because that's what he's been like, right? He misses a couple and he just shies away and does playmaker. He's not even doing that. He's being more aggressive, and that's a sign of confidence from the entire team. Like, okay, I got the open shot. I got to take it. And then, you know what? If it gets close and it comes down to the wire, there's always Jason Tatum to hit a three and then get the two-pointer to force overtime. I mean, that man, his level of confidence and his level of clutch right now, you can't touch him. He's MC Hammer. (laughs) <laughs> he would be too legit to quit, maybe, too. Anyway. Yeah. Uh, My favorite, though, do you believe Scal when he said he came up with the stash, Gordon? Did you hear that? Dude? I don't know about that. I, I think he stole that. it. Mike called him out. He's like, who do we credit for that, right? And then Scal's like, me, me. I'm not buying it. Way. You stole stash, Gordon, from someone. No way. No way. I love it, I, though. Let's, I'm not saying it. It's good. It's good. It's great. Yeah. It's great. Yeah, I. I it's know. not Time Lord, but it's great. It's not Time Lord, but Stash Gordon is pretty. It's pretty it's good. Pretty yes, bad. it's pretty. Good. His wife hates it, which makes everyone else love it all the more too. <laughs> it's kind of fun. He definitely um, looks like he should be in that movie Tombstone. Oh, know. that. Well, that was. I was gonna bring that up to you because I know you're a big Tombstone guy. I well, thought, yeah, yeah. If he if he hits, so here's like here's the dream, right? He hits like the game winner. You know, he's got the, the he's in the, the, the Kevin Garnett answer, you know, and and they go and they just say, you know, Gordon, what do you think? And he just says, I'm your Huckleberry. I'm your Huckleberry. And, and then boom! And then it's like, that's it. It's over. Dude. Print the shirts, big wide brim hats, the whole deal. <laughs> oh yeah, I've 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 got a good a good buddy on Twitter. We've got to we got to get this going. Like that, yeah. Stash they, Gordon. I'm He's played so player. great. He's so great. You know, we haven't talked about Jason Tatum, really. I mean, and we got, I mean. I just I think, teed it up and we went running. I know. We went in a different direction. But, because <laughs> we, we talked a little about Gordon. But, like, Tatum, he really, he struggled to start, right? I mean, that, 
in the game against you know Milwaukee, obviously dreadful, absolutely dreadful. Uh, you know, uh, you know the next game when they were playing up against Portland, really good game, not great, but good game. Uh, you know, 34 <laughs> and eight and four. No, I'm just kidding. That was really good. The Miami game again, struggling. Uh, but since then, um, really solid efforts all the way through. And then today against Memphis, just unconscious. And what was interesting today is to see him really, he got maybe some confidence from the end of that Orlando game where really that was 47 minutes of Gordon Hayward kicking ass. And it was, you know, the last minute of regulation and then that, that five minute overtime when Tatum was just it. He was, he was just the guy. He was the man. You know, that kind of takeover, uh, you know, Tatum kind of situation. Uh, beautiful stuff. And then on top of that, now coming into today and just lighting it up. You know, I think the expectations on him were so, so high going into it. And I, my own little psychoanalysis of this is he felt that. You know, it's it felt he felt like he was forcing it. Felt like he was trying to take you know be the guy making all those shots. And then he adjusted. And really, I thought in the Toronto game, uh, in the Orlando, you know, the early parts of the Orlando game, he's looking to create plays. And as he did that, everything kind of starts to fall back into place for him. And I think since then, uh, you know, using that playmaking skill. His, his playmaking has stepped up. Jalen's playmaking has stepped up. But those abilities that what they've been able to do with that, uh, I think that's really opened up his scoring here the last you know, end of the Magic game and then today. I think that's that's going to be the important thing going into the playoffs here is these teams are going to be geared up for him. And I think they were to start, and he wasn't adjusting to that right off. Now he's adjusted. So now what's going to happen? What's what's the counterbalance going to be? What's Philly going to throw at him? You know, they're going to throw Matisse Tybel at him. They're going to throw uh, Tobias Harris. Good luck. Um, Who's going to stop that fadeaway? No he's way. falling back nope. so far. If he goes any further back, he's going to literally land on his ass. Yeah. I don't even know how he – that's got to be almost 35 degrees of lean back. <laughs> and he's already super long. Like, you know, and yep. he's going to he can, if he can keep dropping that in, it's unfair. It is. Nobody, nobody has a fade away like that at that length. There's, a, you know, like Isaiah Thomas could fade away. There's some guards, you know, that are under six foot that figured out that fade away for survival's sake. There's nobody at his length that fades like that. Right. Because, I mean, that's the thing. Like, he's got that smaller version of Giannis length. You know, he really has tremendously long arms um, and lanky frame. Uh, and, you know, you look at guards, I mean, the shooters who are big men, that's not something that we've seen until recently, right? Uh, you know, a Garnett or a, you know, a Garnett had that high release. And, you know, but it, it's different when you see a guy doing it from 30 feet. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's oh. different when you see, you know, a, a six, six, eight guy or six, nine guy with like alarms that go through the, you know, through the ceiling. I mean, it's Durant, I guess, is the only other guy who's the, the comp there. You could say, yeah, it's like Durant, you know, and, and who's going to touch Durant? You know, it's the same idea. Yeah, had a lot of comps for Tatum and Durant for a little while. And people were like having a hard time with that. They were thinking maybe more like Ingram, you know, because he was so wiry frame, right? But there were a lot of people comping, 
you know, Tatum with with Durant. I I don't think I saw it, but I remember us talking about it. I think just in terms of frame, I think that's the closest that you can come to. I mean, a lot of people say the Paul George thing. A lot of people say, you know, the Paul Pierce thing. I think those belie what the frame issues, you know, the frame that he has and putting the skill. And that's the other thing. He has. But his fadeaway, like you compare him to Paul, but Mm -hmm. Paul was more of the step back. And I'm not saying there isn't a step back with Tatum. Absolutely. There's a lot of step back. It's actually, and if you look at how he creates space out on the perimeter, it's actually more of a, a real subtle sidestep. It's a it's a way it's a cat and mouse timing thing where as soon as they commit, he doesn't even do an exaggerated step. If you remember Paul at the elbow, you know the step back, the step is exaggerated. But Tatum out on the perimeter, you know, out beyond at the three point line. That sometimes it's a big step, but a lot of times it's a timing thing, and he just gets a couple of inches. He doesn't even need that same amount of space. But the but the but the fadeaway, the way he's just way back. Paul never was like that. Paul no. step back, got you know distance between him and the defender. That much. That's all he Not needed. Much, <laughs> yeah, not much, but it was keeping the defender farther away from him in terms of in front of him. He still, with the step back, got into normal shot position. His release might have been leaned back a little bit, but what Tatum's doing is just ridiculous. So on that note, I'm interested you to think about this. So one thing that I kind of noticed is that in terms of leadership – you know, that kind of we're in a hole. We're going to dig ourselves out of it. You know, I feel like Jalen has really been someone who has stepped up through this bubble um, through the year. But, I, you know, something I've noticed that when things are bad, he's a guy that really kind of digs deep. Smart yeah, you can count on him for a couple of defense right. plays and he'll hit a big three. I mean, the way he's splashing threes is just yeah. if that continues through the postseason. It is dangerous, really really dangerous but he's very marcus smart like in his willingness to take a take a back seat on the offensive end and just go do the dirty work and i think that's that kind of leadership that you're talking about and i don't know if he learned that from smart in a way i mean i'm not saying he wasn't a willing defender before but and he always had the athletic ability but if you think about the first two years of jalen's career yeah. You know, people said, look, he doesn't know where he's supposed to be. He's not making the smart play. Same kind of criticism that Rondo got over committing on certain things. And, you know, reaction time wasn't there. And, man, if he could just put it together with his athleticism. But even nobody criticized his effort. But his effort didn't look like smarts. And that's hard to it's hard to emulate. You know, being able to walk, (laughs) being able to be out of bounds and then inbounds and then jump back out of bounds and flip the ball back into play, you know, to a Celtic is ridiculous. Jalen's never going to do that. But I do feel like Jalen, and we've never really heard them talk about it, but I do feel greatly that Jalen feeds off of that from smart and that it helped him a lot. Not so much that Jalen wasn't willing to accept that secondary role because what he did the Kyrie year absolutely says he was um, and, and did, you know, in, in, in a circumstance where he may not have been wrong or if he was, you know, he ate the crow quick and improved, but 
but I think that what you're talking about, that kind of leadership, if they need a basket, he'll do a basket. If they need him to just go and grunt it on defense, he'll go grunt it on defense. He tends to draw fouls, but it might be the spark. I Yeah, and, you know, that's that whole – uh, the old, you know, kind of what does the person's demeanor look like in terms of how hard they're working thing, too, in terms of, you know, that smart brown comparison. I, You know, I just it's it's interesting how those two Tatum and Brown work together uh, and mesh with each other is really, you know, is kind of fascinating. And, um, you know, I've been I, I pay particular attention to OKC and what happened there between. Durant and Westbrook. And, you know, that was a situation where they worked really well together. Uh, but, you know, there were frustrations about, you know, Russ didn't do this and Tatum. So are you worried that Brown is going to be in that scenario because Tatum Dude, is always going to be taking that limelight? I'm I'm a New England sports fan who is who uh, grew up in the 80s and 90s, as you did. And I always have the capacity for panic at the uh, – <laughs> somewhere in my fandom so i yes i mean i i'm concerned you know i want this to go on forever you know what i mean i want them to play 25 years here together and never leave you've been talking about it i didn't even want to trade for anthony davis that's what i wanted so bad i know and i and i'll even throw smart in there i don't want those three yeah you know i get it gordon's gonna move on at some point kemba's gonna move on at some point would be awesome if rob williams like lurked himself into that conversation, but but really, anytime you talk about the Celtics' core for the future, it's those three: Smart, Brown, and Tatum. Oh, you can just keep them together. You can go out and get vets and pack them in around them, and you can build a team. Um, but that, but that, that, those three players are the ones I just would hate to see any one of them leave at any point. It'll be. It won't be Tom Brady-esque unless yeah. they're in their 40s, and then I'll take it. You know, I yeah, I well, there is late there's, 30s, but there's you know the, what I'm there's the right, right. There's the argument of how far can uh, can two wings lead a team. You know how how you know do you need somebody at another position to to play out to to step up? You know, do you need Rob Williams to be your third best player, for example? Do you need him to be better than Smart? For you to get to that next level, you know, kind of like or just in, in the comparison, that only thing that jumps to mind is you know, Golden State and being able to say, hey, you had yes, you had Clay and you had Steph, but you had Draymond on the back line, you know, and I'm not saying that that Rob's going to be Draymond or exactly like that, but it's an easy answer. It, the game is going to evolve. And so, you know, the answer to that is is a TBD. Um, right, and you right. have, and you have to look at how does the conference play out? Um, can they, we'll find out this year if they really can compete with Milwaukee. It wasn't so good last season, right? Uh, <laughs> I don't know. Jury's still out, Justin. <laughs> it was looking so good. Oh shit. We suck. Oh. <laughs> game but one, all the is, hope of game one. Anyway, but this sorry. team is different and. So if we if we see what their ability is to compete with Milwaukee, Tatum's not done getting better. Neither is Brown. So and I'm and I'm not saying that Milwaukee's not getting better, but what I am saying is Ante Decumpo 
he might get a little bit better. And if he's lucky, he'll have the staying power of a LeBron. But it's not like if these teams are close now, if you look at the two and you look at their makeup and you look at core outside of Milwaukee doing something to bring in another major star, the Celtics chances of improving more and continuing to get better, especially you, you actually drew the comparison, you know, Hey, Tatum's got this frame and he's got that same athletic ability, but a little bit shorter stature than Ante DeCoupo. Well, what if Tatum fills out like Giannis did? What if he winds up becoming that strong because dude's not even at a point where he can pack on that muscle yet? We talked about that when they drafted him. He's skinny, but he's but he moves and he has put on muscle. He's definitely getting stronger. So what what physique does a 25-year-old Jason Tatum have? And at that point, with Giannis being that many years ahead of Jason, I'm just telling you, I think that at, you look at Milwaukee, you know that they can go to the finals and, and they have Giannis, but they don't necessarily have that center that you're talking about that maybe the Celtics need or they need that Draymond or they need that other player. The game's going to change. And and so unless they have an unbeatable matchup in Philly, right, because maybe that team starts to balance out and then Embiid does become almost impossible for the Celtics. Yeah. Yeah. Then then you could be in a situation where you're like they need a Rob Williams to be the third best player, because if he's not competing even at a slight disadvantage to Embiid, they'll never get by Philly. Absolutely. That could be a conversation. You know, what's interesting, too, is that, you know, every year we look at what it is and, and we in our minds, we apply an incremental growth to whatever it is. And we we always screw it up. Right. We always say, like, well, you know, <laughs> yeah, who are the good? I, I mean, us less so than most. I'm not saying that that we're the only ones. But, you know, for example, when you look at the East right now. Right. I mean, certainly Brooklyn is going to have Kyrie and, and KD uh, next year. Well, KD it's look gonna like be KD. Tough. Will Kyrie look like Kyrie? We'll see, you know. Um, but you look at the younger players, the younger rosters. I mean, I don't see a dramatic difference in the East next year. Um, you know, apart from apart from what Brooklyn will do, um, you know, Indiana could be could be better, certainly. Maybe Miles Turner figures out how to play with Sabonis. Um, but, you know, to me, that the East is relatively static in that there'll be incremental growth from Miami, incremental growth from Indiana. The only one who could Toronto? take a big is Philly. Yeah, yeah, how much better is Toronto going to be? I mean, they're going well, to have to you gotta got to look at the Fred Van Fleet. So they get a lot of young players. He's gone, though. Yeah. He's a free agent. Uh, so you're saying they won't even resign him? As I don't thinking. think they'll be able to. I, maybe, maybe, the, maybe there won't be a market for him, but to me – I would break the bank. For no bank. idea what the market's going to look like. It's going to exactly. be a total crapshoot right but now. But they also have, you know, three of their top six players are after 30 or whatever Serge Ibaka is, um, you know, and Lowry and, and Gasol. And so Gasol is the real big issue for them. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, you pull him out of it. What does that team become? I fully believe, uh, you know, Ujiri is going to be able to find somebody to fill that spot. I'm not saying, you know, they're, they're dead in the water and forget about it, but, you know, I just look at that team, uh, you know, they have a lot of, um, you know, they have some older players, relatively older players compared to a Boston situation. I think that the issue next year, I think is what does this, what do the Celtics do in terms of their bench? 
because the bench now it's kind of coalesced. And we've yeah, they're going to run out of money. They're, they're going to run, run out of money. money. And they've got three new draft picks that they've got to figure out a room for. They've got a stacked roster with only a couple guys coming off. Uh, you know, they've they're going to make some decisions. And if they're thinking next year is a year that they contend, maybe this is the last year of contention with you know, depending on how it happens with Gordon. You know, at what point do you start to add more vets to this bench? Because right now, well, your vets are so here's Wanamaker, a, here's a plan. Cantor, and and uh, Brad Wanamaker. We That's just saw Memphis. Contention, likely. We, you need more you know, vets. We just saw Memphis. That pick isn't going to be as good as we had all hoped over these years. And there's going to be a lot of teams out there that are going to be significantly crunching for dollars. And the best way for them to reduce dollars and not have a pissed off fan base is to do some trades for first round picks and maybe you package up a bunch of salary on expiring deals and or, you know, or you package up a bunch of rookie, you know, rookie deal guys into one. I think you're going to I think the Celtics are going to be in a good position to get a quote unquote veteran, maybe not one with a max deal or anything, you know, not ridiculous conversations like we've had in the past, but I can definitely see them to your point saying, you know what, we just need a couple of pieces, you know, with maybe that, you know, 12 to $14 million a year veteran who fits a perfect need, who's got two or three years left on their agreement and we can consolidate some of these picks and some of these players and match that up. And then, you know, that allows the team that acquires them to build for the future, but it also allows them to, you know, spin off some of these players or cut them and just slowly reduce salary and stay where they need to be and have a more, you know, three to four year outlook of we're going to have mostly rookie year, you know, rookie contract deals on our roster because we're rebuilding. We're going to try to take some swings of the bat and do a lot of the things that the Celtics did when they traded away Pierce and Garnett. But um, but at the same time, the picks that the Celtics have to offer are not going to be as enticing as the deal that they made with Brooklyn. Yeah, no, that's true. I, you're right that the financial picture is going to change a lot. And we have I don't, the NBA doesn't even know what it looks like for next year. Uh, but once that happens, I think you're right. I think there will be a lot of teams. I think the Celtics are actually going to be pretty well you know, situated because they don't own their own building. And so because they're paying rent, there's a lot of costs the Celtics aren't bearing as part of this whole thing that, that other teams who own their buildings are. So hopefully that it's a, it's a little bit easier on, on them. But, yeah, it's uh, it, it should be interesting. And hopefully uh, they can turn – some of these young these young players into some some veterans who can, you know, provide some some boost and some some bounce because I think it's I think that's part of the problem for a guy like Rob Williams and part of the reason he's doing so well in in these stronger units that he's playing on is that he's playing with better players who have a better sense of where they are when he's going in with part of these these fully bench units um, you know because a lot of people don't know what they're doing <laughs> so that doesn't help Rob out. So if he's playing with a Kemba, he's playing with a Gordon Hayward, he's playing with you know a Marcus Smart, you know although he's a bench player, but you know what I'm saying, it it does help him greatly. So I'm I'm looking forward to that. Uh, I'm also really looking forward on on Thursday to some ample Tremont Waters minutes. So oh, uh, yeah. and Taco Taco on Thursday, so that should be fun. At noon, Taco Thursdays. 
The day of the week still starts with a T, but it's not a Tuesday. You're absolutely right. There's going to be a lot of end of the bench time. I think Kemba will get some minutes. I think they'll want to keep him fresh. I don't think they'll play him a lot of minutes, um, but I think he will definitely get, you know, maybe about 20 just because sometimes that time off isn't good. <laughs> you know, you, you, you really need to stay in that, um, you know, in that shape. It'll be it'll be interesting to see how they manage that. There will it could be another like beginning of uh, uh you know when they were warming up where you had a first half second half kind of deal. We could see that too. Um, it'd almost be interesting if they did the first half with all the bench players and then did the second half with the vets because the final minutes it probably is neither here nor there. But John, I think we got to wrap it. This has been a good one. The regular season will be over by the time we talk to all of you again on this edition of Celtic Stuff Live. We'll be in the postseason, and uh, we've been waiting a very long time for this. We have indeed. I've got a real big rant for the, for the outtakes. I hope people stick around for that because it's worth talking about. All right, well, that's going to do it for this episode of Celtic Stuff Live, and Thank you very much for listening. A big, big thank you. Make sure that you follow us on Twitter and Instagram and dot, dot, dot. Give us a rating and a review. That's going to do it. On behalf of John and myself, thank you for listening to this episode of Celtic Stuff Live. Okay. So this week, NBC Sports Boston decided that uh, they needed to have some cutbacks and uh, uh, they decided to gut uh, their effectively their entire uh, program that they're running there. And they cut loose Abby Chin and a Sherrod Blakely. Now Sherrod has been on the team going back to 08. I think, I think that was he took over for Spears when Spears went to, um, well, he didn't take over because, Oh no, no, no. Sorry. Spears was at the globe. That's Gary Washburn. My bad. Yeah. yeah, they brought him in from Detroit. That's right. 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 So, and, and I think, you know, Sherrod did a fine job. Um, you know, I, I, you know, I was very, we, and we also Are were you on trying air to be with professional about saying, well, I oh, like Sherrod. All right, but I'm not no, really going to miss it. No, no. What I'm saying is no, no. What I'm saying is we weren't around for, for also Steeple pets. Uh, you know, his, his layoff from the Boston Herald. That's uh, the real, that's, I'm, that that's is a the real issue. one for me. Yep. Uh, but the one that I'm going to talk about right now is the one that I think is, um, I think there's something we can do something about folks. And that's, uh, that's Abby Chin. They let Abby Chin go. Now look, Abby's allowed, oh, Abby and Sherrod are sticking you around. And I are not going to agree on this one. Well, I'm gonna I'm gonna cut it short then. <laughs> listen, listen. Why? Just there's a lot of people who are dissenting voice on this. There's a, no, that's right. And I'm the one I definitely would champion Steve Bullpen over Abby Chin. No, 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 no. This is this isn't either. Look, NBC Sports Boston is not picking Steve Bullpen over Abby Chin. That's not. No, the, I know that. I'm what? just saying. If I was gonna fight for somebody who lost their job oh. in the Boston media, it, it, 
I don't I I can't even I don't even know where you're I know where you're going I just can't believe you're going there so keep going. Oh, I'm going there. I'm definitely going there. It, it's it's absolute lunacy from NBC Sports Boston, okay? The Celtics are the linchpin of all the programming they have on that station. Everything they have runs off of Celtics basketball. I watch that channel for the same for the purpose of watching Celtics basketball. Now they have other programs on there too that are normally not that great, okay? To be honest, but they, this is about Celtics basketball. And admittedly, there may not be a sideline for Abby Chin to roam here over the next, you know, year. Having said that, there are some really, really bad people, <laughs> bad employees, people who I do not enjoy, people who no one enjoys to watch and turn on the TV and see them on the screen. And they are still employed by NBC Sports Boston. And Abby Chin is not. And I think that's a, a, a real, uh, yeah. moronic situation. What do you mean, nah? What is I don't, nah? What, I don't what, think she's that. I just tell it. I don't think she's that good. What 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 are you like, to do? What are you looking for? Like breakdowns of true shooting percentage? What is it that she's not giving that uh, that is is the shortcoming here? I, I, I I'm just, interested here. Yeah, you know, I you know who I really liked as a sideline guy the most oh, or sideline person. Yeah, go ahead. So there was two guys who were on New England Sports tonight, okay. right? One was Bone on Bone, who also got let go in the layoff, Gary Tangway. And, we, I, you know, Gary the character was annoying on purpose. Gary the person wasn't really a bad guy, you know. And he did come on and gave us a quote that put us up on USA Today. If you remember that Bone on Bone quote yep. back in the 2000s for Wally Zerviak, that was like a map maker for Celtic stuff live. But having said that, you know, I love Greg Dickerson as a sideline guy. I, I absolutely loved Greg Dickerson. And and Abby just doesn't I, – I don't know, dude. Like, you're kind of catching me off guard because I didn't expect this for the outtakes. But I've never been like I, – I, I'd tune her out. I'm just being honest with you. Like, I'd tune her out. You know who I'd rather see? You know, do you remember Jess Camaretto, who's now, like, with MLB.com? She was awesome, and I think she would have been great as a sideline reporter. She had such great rapport with the players. She always got really good – like interviews, but I've never like, does Abby write anything, you know, for the site? Do you see insights? Like if you're just talking about somebody whose job is to regurgitate what the coach just said in the timeout, you know, any, I'm just, I'm not trying to be a jerk here, but I'm saying any professional broadcaster that went to a decent broadcasting school can do that. I just have to. Yeah. There's people who can repeat what other people say. I think there's a lot of people who can do that. I don't know there's a lot of people who can do that and you can like at the same time. And I think that's yeah, I, what but that so that's, that's important. So maybe it's that simple. I just I don't it's really important. I don't I, I, really like her. I'm not saying I dis I'm not saying I dislike her, but I like I've always been like I could if somebody else stepped in there, you know, like when Chris Forsberg would come and show up and do it, I was like, Cool. You know, I like Chris, you know. Um yeah. We've had him on the show. I've seen him in person a zillion times. He's personable. He talks to people, you know, and, and I get it. Everybody's got a job to do, but I just didn't. Yeah, I just no, no, well, I, I, I think I, I, I hear what you're saying, but you're wrong. And uh, so anyway, <laughs> no, I mean, look, it's OK. It's you know, everyone's got their own cup of tea, right? That's fine. I think the issue is, 
is that one, she's well liked. Whether she's not your cup of tea, there's a lot of people who are pretty upset, pretty frustrated that NBC Sports Boston's going this way. Um, and I think that's a problem. I think two, the other problem is is that they're they're cutting back on their you know they've got they've got two writers for the team for the the core piece of what is what they do, Celtics basketball, and they just cut that in half. Like, well, we don't need we only need Chris, and I'm glad Chris has got his gig. You know, Chris is a good dude, uh, does a great job. But uh, what exactly is the plan? Because there's a lot of people employed by NBC Sports Boston that are, you know, shouldn't be employed anywhere, frankly, in journalism. John Tomasi made up a whole story about the self, about the Patriots, uh, you know, having recording the Rams walkthrough, and you know, and yet somehow that guy still has a job. I don't understand that. You know, I think there's other people there who are, I'm like, really? You know, we have a, a, a show on at 10 o'clock on that channel. That I don't know anybody who watches that show. It's the biggest waste of time going. So, to me, Celtics basketball going back to Sports Channel, going back to Prism, but, you but, know, but that's you what just that, said, that channel's all about. You, and they're partly owned by the Boston Celtics at that. So let me ask you this, okay? If there is no sideline reporting to be done, how do you know you want her doing the writing? Or anchoring or that writing. show, or anymore. Yeah, no one writes anymore. But I'm just saying, you said they have <laughs> two writers. Well, then fine. Then they should cut the writers too. You don't retain somebody. See, your argument is the same thing that's wrong with the presidential debate. I don't like this guy, so I'll take anybody else. So I'm going to go with this guy. And what you're saying is we should save Abby because they have these two writers you know, that are writing full time that, you know, are no good and there's no value there. My point is, if she's not going to do that job, you know what I mean? And her job literally isn't a job right now, then, you know what I mean? Like, I just yeah, think you're Justin, living in a fantasy world with You're this. not watching the channel anymore. You don't understand. It's like that no, you're whole right. channel. I don't is, watch it anymore. It's a, it's a complete, like, disaster. Like, the whole channel is like there's nothing worth watching. They have all this programming to have Gary Tangoring and Trenny Kuznir yell at each other about nonsense and nobody cares about any of it. And it's like, why are we doing this? Like, this is not entertaining. I can't imagine anyone is watching this. And so they're letting people go who are part of their core constituency of what people watch that channel. And instead, they're holding on to something that is really unfulfilling and uninteresting. So I, I get what you're saying. That's, I'm, I think and that's I'm not terrible, and I'm not I'm not debating market. whether the content's good or not because as you made the point, I'm out of market. I don't watch any of it. But that's not a reason to keep somebody who doesn't fill a role because there is no sideline reporting. Like there literally is no sideline reporting and there may not be again for quite some time. You don't keep them. So the point is this, what are you keeping her for? And and what role Video? are you going to move her to that yeah. you think she's going to excel at that's going to be any different than what they asked, you know, Trenny to do? Do any studio job. I mean, you know, run run halftime, run whatever. I mean, there are other there are other studio that's gigs. That's programming, not the person, right? It's sure. programming. But you're, talk, you're saying the programming is gone. That. I'm trying to say the programming exists that she fits into. I, th- I think, you know. No, you're saying that she should go into that programming and bring new life to it, right? 
That's what you're I'm saying. saying she's that they shouldn't of do it that. the way they were doing it. I'm saying huh? she, I'm saying she's capable of that. I'm saying that that there. If your argument is that well, they're getting rid of this one area, and so then what do you do? What I'm saying is there's more available for that person to do than just. And that what I'm area. saying is that it's not you want to replace people because you don't like the programming. It's not the people. It's the programming. You, no, you take Abby. Know. And slaughter into that, she's going to be arguing with so and so because that's what they're expecting for that role. It doesn't mean that the network's making the right decision about programming, but that's what will be expected of her. If you move her from her current role, which is now no longer a role, and move her into one of those other roles, you're just going to get her doing the same thing because it's the programming. It's not the person, it's the programming. Well, I have problems with the programming, and I have I have problems with the personnel decisions in terms of what people are capable of and who they're holding on to. So, I, I mean, I guess I have problems with both issues. So but. you really think she's got – like, I don't know why you're convinced that Abby has, you know, like more – I don't know why you think that she has more ability than somebody else that's – you know, like Gary already got let go. So I guess he's not arguing with Trenny anymore, you know, and, you know, I just don't know what you think that you have seen Abby do that is going to be any better than than what you're not happy with today. I don't know how you're convinced of that. Well, and I, I don't. I, I, yeah, I think you're, I think you're mixing the two the two issues, though. I think the issue is. It's the programming in terms of decision making of what they want to program on the channel. But two, just in the pure merits of having employing people that people like and want to watch on TV is an important thing on on television. They don't necessarily have to be, you know, someone who's, uh, you know, providing, uh, you know, analysis and commentary. People like Abby as much as you think they do. I think you're wrong. Yeah. I think you're. I think you're. I think. I think you're. You're misreading that one because. I think there's I think there's a, a wide range of that, and I think that the problem is that uh, you know, and, and there was a number of articles that came out today that you know this is something that that NBC Sports uh, is doing across and all of their their regional networks they're cutting back and they are and they're doing so in a way that's really harming their product in the long run, um, and they're making decisions based upon things other than what's in the best interests of of you know, covering the markets that they're tasked to do, um, you know, so I, you know, look, I think that that's, uh, um, I think that's a problem and I, and I don't like to see the, uh, the preeminent network for the Boston Celtics falling by the wayside, it becoming a Nesson light. Um, that's not a good thing. You know, Nesson has been, you know, to me, a, a, a really poor, poorly run organization for a long time. And I think that they're just taking a step into that world, which, uh, you know, was is really um, I had hoped that, that we were we weren't that the, the channel that we have to watch to watch the Celtics wouldn't be going down that road. But alas, here we are. Also, yes, that may be totally fair and legitimate criticism. I just don't think that that and Abby are as tied together as you think. And, you know, I think it has everything to do with leadership and programming. I mean, if they if they if you told me that they let Mike go, Mike Gorman, I'd be up in arms. And I was very disappointed to see the Herald let go of Bullpet, but also shocked because he by far got most of the information that nobody else could get 
from Danny. He broke most stories. And whenever Danny wanted to feed some shade out into the, you know, and you always knew when Steve was, was, you know, floating something for the benefit of the organization, because it'd be another like breaking thing. And he's been on the show and alluded to things in the past that he's clearly privy to that we didn't get from other people. Like informationally, I don't know why the Herald and maybe Steve's salary was just too much, but I don't know why the Herald would, and, and this will be the, this will be kind of the closing point. I don't know why the Herald be willing to risk that be, unless they feel like that information's coming from Danny because they're the Herald. And I just simply don't believe that. You know, I think that somebody like Bill Pat has to create a relationship with Danny for Danny to trust the Herald and and trust Steve to, you know, do things discreetly and in a way that he's comfortable with or he stops giving him the scoops. And I don't think that's Herald based. I think that it's Herald related, but Steve's integrity. So unless Steve made a super screw up and they just use this as an opportunity, unless that's what happened, that's behind the scenes and we're not privy to that. I don't get it. I don't get that. And that's what I'm telling you about Abby. I don't see what Abby brings to the table that somebody else who also has a likable or affable personality, if they decide to start this back up, couldn't achieve in a short period of time. Um, I think that the people that are valuable are the ones that have insights and information that others can't get. And And this is where I'm going with your comments about you know, all of that. The truth is this, you know, if the Herald can't see the value in Steve, they're either making a critical error or the market doesn't dictate it anymore because nobody cares in the market about that, that Steve has that knowledge. It's not what sells papers. It's not what people pay attention to. And if you're disappointed with the quality of the product, the decision makings of people who they're letting go and the content and the programming, it has everything to do with the fan base reacting to things that don't have value because that's what makes people who are good at their jobs less valuable. If you can just take somebody out and plug somebody else back in and have the same amount of sales, and it could be a miscalculation on any of these people's parts, right? You know, when the leadership has to make a decision. But in times like these, difficult decisions have to be made. Sports is making less money. Advertising is down. We didn't have events for how long, and they were paying people to report on things. And, you know, again, the value is not there. And that's why I say I don't disagree with your overarching point. I just disagree with the fact that I think you can take Abby out. I think you can find somebody else and plug them back in. And as long as, you know, they test it out on the likability scale, it's probably not going to have any impact on the organization or the business moving forward. Well, I, I think that's, you know, I think that's, that's kind of, that may be where we are. Uh, I think that's pretty sad if, if, you know, I think, I think, you know, you can put a lot of people out there. There's been a revolving door of people who have been working for Nesson over the years um, and some that are likable and some that make an impact in terms of what people want to watch. And maybe they're saying people are going to watch Silk's broadcast regardless, um, but I think that makes a poor broadcast in the end. Um, you know, I could go on a rant here about corporate interests and what the value of money versus quality and and uh, exploit, exploiting the, uh, <laughs> the worker and all that. 
I'm going to save that for <laughs> for uh, uh, for another time and uh, and all it goes. But it just it seems like that's an opportunity there for uh, when you have something good, you don't go, give it away. And uh, there's no salary cap. There's nothing that prevents them from doing what they need to do to make uh, a better product for uh, the viewers. And I think the product, the viewers will be poorer for their move. Um, and I think the product will be poorer for their move. But, you know, I, again, that's maybe that's a, a, a sad reality that we all facing. So let's, let's hope not. All right. Wow. That's it. That outtake was a whole show on its own. There you go. There you go. Oh, my God. Wow. You didn't know that it was going to be as contentious as it was. I didn't. I thought you were just going to try to go to bed halfway through the middle of it. So. I do want to go to bed, but um, and I need to. But, yeah, dude, I, I, I am not an Abby fan at all. She, there's something about her that irritates me. I just didn't want to say it that way. Cause